Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Are Christians required to reach out to an author, speaker, or pastor privately before criticizing their comments publicly? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So sometimes on this podcast and on our individual podcasts, Natasha and I might bring up a current book or an author to help our audience discern the ideas being taught by reasoning through whether or not they are true and reflect a biblical worldview. Often, we both receive comments that ask things like, hey, did you reach out to this person privately before you called them out publicly. Or, hey, you should have that person on your show so they can explain their view before you criticize them. Often, commenters will bring up Matthew 18, 15, which tells Christians to go to someone directly if they've sinned against you. We're going to get into all of that in a moment. But first, Natasha is going to let you know about some stuff coming up and our tips of the week. So we just want to remind you that tickets are now on sale for our Unshaken Conference at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, which is in Southern California on May 6th. If you haven't heard about it yet, our Unshaken Conference is a four-conference series this year with me, Elisa, and Frank Turek, where we're equipping Christians to speak truth without fear, to love the way that God loves, and to stand firm no matter the cost. So if you're anywhere near Southern California, you are not going to want to miss this. And hey, if you're not local, please help us get the word out to any friends you might have in the area. We'd really appreciate your help. Well, my tip this week, particularly in light of today's topic, is to remember that there is no perfect teacher but Jesus. Every human teacher will err. So examine all things against what the Bible teaches, including everything that we're saying on this podcast. Every human teacher will also at some point differ with your view on something. Unless it's a matter of primary doctrinal importance, you don't necessarily need to mark and avoid that person. I feel like I've been seeing a lot of that going on on social media lately. There can be plenty to learn from someone who maybe has a different view of eschatology, ecclesiology, or the age of the earth than you. So as much as Elisa and I believe that it's critical to call out false teaching and teachers, we also recognize that all too often Christians can be too quick to move someone into a problem box unnecessarily. That's so good. And it goes so well with my tip of the week, which I'm going to quote from my friend Samuel Say, whose handle on Instagram is slow to write. And my tip of the week is basically that as anti-woke people, as people who are standing against the cultural spirit of the age of critical theory and critical social justice, the tendency can be to become tribalistic. And like Natasha said, if you disagree with somebody on something like having to do with eschatology or or maybe a secondary or third tier issue, we can tend to want to unfollow and kind of find a tribe where we agree with everybody, uh, you know, in that tribe. But Sam is, you know, he can be controversial sometimes. He's very uh, strong against wokeness. He speaks very strongly against critical social justice and abortion. And sometimes his words are a bit provocative. Well, last week he wrote an article that provoked a lot of his own audience to push back on him really quite hard to the point that he wanted to address it on his page. 
And so I love the words that he said here, and I'm going to read them to you. He said, I strive to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. However, that doesn't mean I won't sometimes say things that you strongly disagree with. My page isn't a safe space for you. As anti-woke people, we especially shouldn't be emotionally fragile people who can't handle opposing ideas. And then he tells his followers, you actually don't have to follow me if it makes you uncomfortable if you don't want to. But then he goes on to say, that doesn't mean you have to unfollow me if you sometimes disagree with me. You're welcome to stay and challenge me. You're not a safe space for me either. And I love those words because I think that is the tendency as the spirit of the age kind of closes in on us and everybody looking for these safe spaces, like it's okay for us to disagree with one another and let's challenge each other. Let's have those debates in good faith and with charity and with kindness and with gentleness. But but we shouldn't be retreating to a safe space because that's what the world's doing and that's what leads to cancel culture. So that's my tip of the week. Let's resist safe spaces. All right, let's get into today's topic. So just last week, I posted an interview on my podcast that was gently critiquing an unbiblical teaching on prayer within evangelical Christianity. And almost immediately, I had someone in the comments ask me why I haven't invited the main proponent of that teaching on my podcast to have a discussion. Now, interestingly, the person who called me out did not reach out to me privately before calling me out publicly for calling out the other person publicly. <laughs> So there's that. But they suggested that it's unfair and unbiblical to to just be like a heresy hunter to criticize this person's ideas without inviting them to come on my platform and explain their view more thoroughly. So often when I receive a comment like this, Matthew 18, 15 is cited. So I'm just going to read that for us and then we can talk about it. Matthew 18, 15 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the context of this passage has to do with someone sinning against you personally, not necessarily in the context of somebody making something public and then you criticizing what they publicly said publicly. Natasha, what would you add to that in the context of Matthew 18, 15? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. We have to understand this passage is about personal wrongs between people within a local church community. So note that it starts with, if your brother sins against you. So this isn't talking about doctrinal disputes. And when it says, quote, that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, it's actually a reference to the Old Testament law that required any criminal charges to be supported by two or more witnesses. So again, this is about personal wrongdoing, and that's in Deuteronomy 19.15. Then you get more context if you go on to the next verse, it says, quote, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So in other words, if the person doesn't repent, they're to be removed from the church community. So the bottom line is that this is a passage on church discipline. It has nothing to do with how to handle publicly proclaimed false teachings outside of that context. That's a totally different subject, but you're right. People use this all the time to say, hey, did you take the time to go and talk to this person publicly? And I'm sure this happened to you, Elisa, too, where people will bring this up about someone very famous <laughs> that you would have no opportunity to reach out to. Yeah. Did, did you reach out to this particular person? No, no, I didn't because they actually probably wouldn't want to hear from me. Right? <laughs> right. So it, it, it's interesting that people bring this up, but it's important to understand that the context of this passage has nothing to do with people outside of that local church setting. 
That's really good. And I'm, I'm laughing because when I had my first like major viral, like millions of views article several years ago, um, the book that I was critiquing, the author had sold 2 million books and I had a very small following, you know, for the most part on this blog. And I don't even know, I, maybe I had started my podcast by then. I'm not sure. But everybody was like, why didn't you reach out to her personally? And I'm like, Really? <laughs> like, is she going to, she's going to want to talk to me? I doubt it. But that's the point is that if somebody's writing books and this includes us, right? We know this, this is part of the game. When you write books, when you post sermons on YouTube or you make videos, making public commentary, explaining your ideas on the public square, they're fair game for, for critique. And I think someone who summed this up really well is Jay Adams. This is from uh, Grist from Adams Mill. And he wrote this. He said, any Christian who sets himself up up as a teacher in the church of Christ and publicly teaches anything thereby opens himself up for criticism by others. If they think that what he's teaching is harmful to the church, they have an obligation to point it out just as widely as it was taught. Such public warning or debate on the topic should not be considered a personal attack at all. The teacher's plea that a critic should first have come to him about his disagreement on the basis of Matthew 18, 15 does not hold. This passage has to do with personal wrongs known only between the two who should privately discuss the matter that separates them. What a critic of a public teaching does in pointing out his disagreement with that teaching has nothing to do with personal affronts or lack of reconciliation. He is simply disagreeing at the same public level as that on which the teaching was given in the first place. So it's, it's just bizarre to me that people would say, oh, this person has sold millions of books, but you should just go have a private conversation with them. No, I want to speak to the two million people who bought the book, right? And, and, and that's the main point. And I think there's another point to consider, too, that it's actually biblically mandated to call out false teachers and false teaching. So Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So here, Paul is placing the blame of being divisive on the person who's bringing in the false doctrine, not on the person who's calling it out. Yeah, exactly. And our friend Frank Turek that we're doing the Unshaken Conference with, he addressed this in a really excellent article that he just posted this week called, He Gets Us, But Do We Get Him? The Case for Criticizing False Teachers. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But he's addressing the fact that so many Christians were upset with me for my article that went viral addressing seven problems with the He Gets His campaign. And he lays out the case for why it's so important for Christians to understand that we have to call out problematic teachers and teachings. Like you're saying, he references Romans 16, 17 as well. And he talks about the fact that Paul exposed five false teachers by name in his letters to Timothy, and that every single writer of the New Testament warned against false teachers at some point. Mm. And Frank says, quote, in one sense, the entire Bible is one long warning to avoid false teachings and practices. Yet somehow modern people are under the impression that it is a bigger sin to warn people of false teaching than to actually be a false teacher. Mm. I thought that was such a good point. And it sure feels like that's the case, doesn't it? It sure does. And another, uh, I want to play a little audio from our friend Frank Turk because somebody asked him this question in a public Q&A and they said, you know, isn't it wrong to call out people by name? And so Frank brought up this scenario in which imagine if you had a kid going to youth group in church and then somebody said this to you. I just learned that someone on our staff has been introducing your kids to drugs and pornography. What would your first question be? What would your first question be? 
If you if you if you heard that in the context of your church, my first question would be, well, who, who is, is it? it? <laughs> we need to know who this person is so we can protect our kids from them, right? And I love that he brings that in because Jesus even says in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I mean, that's a really strong statement from meek and mild Jesus here, right? Beware of false prophets. They're coming to you looking like sheep, but inside they're actually ravenous wolves. And then Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And if you really study what the New Testament is talking about, when it talks about fruit, it's talking about the fruit of obedience and repentance. Bad fruit is actually moral evil. It's sin. Uh, In fact, if you even take the word, uh, the Greek word bad in the context of fruit in the New Testament, it's a a Greek word poneros, which has a moral connotation. It's not just like a rotten apple or something. It's like morally evil. So you will recognize them by the fruit of their obedience to Christ or their disobedience and teaching people to disobey Christ. And so I think that in this conversation, it's we do want unity. That's what Jesus prayed for. But it's unity around one faith. It's unity around the gospel. And to keep that unity, you have to put guardrails around it and keep the wolves out. And so we want to have grace and patience and we want to lean on the side of charity wherever and whenever we can. But when somebody is leading you away from the gospel, when they're leading you into sin or they're leading you away from obedience to Christ or away from the real gospel, that person is teaching falsely. And the Bible is very clear. We are to mark and avoid. And this is something that, as Natasha pointed out, we see all through scripture. It's not something we enjoy doing. It's not something that churches enjoy doing or leadership enjoys doing, but it is something that we are biblically mandated and obligated to do. Well, thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to our individual podcast, the Elisa Childers podcast and Natasha Crane podcast for more long form episodes where we go deeper into these topics. For now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on. That, as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. Oh, 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 oh,